From the fine line between stupid and clever, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome the patron saints of quality footwear, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. You know, Mark, I have to say, I am, this, I've been saying this for a little while. I was saying it actually some weeks ago, that uh, it's looking as though this may be the best movie year since 1993, but it, it is it is really now looking like it. I mean, the reviews for just about everything coming out of uh, first Venice, then Telluride, now Toronto, it's, it's phenomenal. It's like all the movies are supposed to be great. I mean, not all, they're not all getting rave reviews. Obviously, there's some reservations about some of them. You know, Captain Phillips didn't get across-the-board rave reviews, and... And uh, obviously, you know the Fifth Estate. There's some reservations, but still, I mean, at least where even where even where like those two movies, people are like, well, it's not entirely great. They're just like, but Tom Hanks is great, and and Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Looking like a good fall. Yes, and it could be you, one of those few falls that is not depressing for us as critics. Well, fall is never depressing. It's the summer that's depressing because yeah. with because with each bloated summer. You think that the it, you think that the fall maybe will also fall in line and not be as good and maybe there'll be even less room for quality films. But the summer ends and the good films come out. And they it just do, happens. but you know what? For the last, I would say, for the last seven or eight years at least, the the fall has never has not been as satisfying as I've wanted it to be. It's always you, you sort of get your hopes set up for for certain movies and then they come out and you're like, well, that wasn't really as good as I thought it would be. Well, you look. I'm, I'm you glad. find the gems, but the, the 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 big stuff is never really that enthralling. So this this year, maybe it seems like that's going to turn around. I like it. I like it. But of course, you know what's going to happen is the films will be really good, and 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 all the Oscar. All, all, the only thing the Academy will care about is which gigantic summer blockbuster is nominated for Best Picture. True. Because to them, all they care about is ratings I for know. the Oscars. Whereas, you know, how weird is it though? We've got two biopics coming out: one about Mandela and one about his wife. Well, the one about his wife is I have not seen it. It's supposedly horrible. Uh, no, she's really good. I've seen it. Oh, you have? Yeah, I've seen how, it. How Gen- the movie's horrible. Jennifer, Jennifer Hudson, really good. Well, that's fine, but how's the movie? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you know. But she's really good. But it's just weird. Who, uh, I mean, how often does that happen? Anyway. You know what? Of all the movies that have been really big at festivals, however, one of them is not going to be eligible for an Academy Award. You know which one that is? Star Wars? It's the one that showed up on HBO. Behind the candelabra. I know. Seriously, that stinks, man. Uh, have you seen it? No. Well, I've got. Because I don't Blu- have HBO. No, but I got the Blu-ray. Right I know. There. You see, okay. Let's let's specify this. Okay. I don't have HBO. Oh, I see. You have the Blu-ray, which I you see. did not lend to me in time for the I show, see. which means I, I didn't get to watch it. Well, I've watched it. Well, then you can talk about. And it. And it is straight up awesome. I mean, it really is. Uh, apparently, they were not able to. Uh, no studio wanted to release this and acquire it for distribution because, as Steven Soderbergh said, they felt it was too gay. You see, that's why uh, *Brokeback Mountain* was t- nominated for so Stop many. Stop trying to push what? the gay agenda onto Americans. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's really good. Uh, Michael Douglas, who unfortunately has recently separated from uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones because of their respective health problems, putting just apparently an unbelievable strain on their uh, on their relationship. But this is a this is a great freaking movie, man. It's a it's just a great movie, and uh, it's the the performance you never would have expected from Michael Douglas. The performance you certainly never would have expected from Matt Damon. Uh, I I don't know how much of it really is completely spot on because it is based on uh, Scott Thorson's uh, memoirs, and so you sort of have to take Thorson at his word for uh, a lot of what transpires here. But um, it really is a, a great pair of performances, a great film, some of Steven Soderbergh's best work in years, and uh, a fascinating look at a guy who was just an unbelievable icon for so long. And, you know, a lot of people were... A, a lot of people used to say, gosh, you know, how could people not know that Liberace was gay? Because the rumors swirled forever, and, of course, then they did the Rock Hudson thing and tried to quash them, and he'd go on TV going, oh, I love my girlfriend, and he'd do his little thing. And I remember asking my mother at one point before she passed, I was like, how did people not know that Liberace was gay? And she said, oh, everybody knew. They just didn't talk about it. It was just, it, it, you know, it, every attempt to just sort of dissuade, because people didn't care. He was just, he was entertaining, he was funny, he had a great show, they loved it, they loved the shtick, the, the diamonds, the whole deal, the, the, the way he played piano. Yeah, people didn't Because he didn't stick it in their face like today's gays do, Wade. <laughs> That's the problem. You stick it in your face, the gay oh, agenda. Oh, there you go. 
That's they will not is. rest until they have uh, uh, taken over the government. That's exactly And made right. everybody gay. Okay. You know, uh, Mark, we've got three films here that are uh, new films. I, I just want to point something out. Now, that one that you have, the cover there, and the covers of these two films, I have in my hands Drift and Disconnect. What is, what is, the, what is common to all three of these? They all, on Blu-ray? They, no, they all do something that is a big pet peeve of mine, and I've never talked about it on the show before, but I'm, I'm going to talk about it now. They have the big head poster. It's not just the big head poster. It's, a, it's, all the, it's all the heads in the movie, and they're all looking in different directions. <laughs> they're all looking in different directions. Now, these two, Drift and Disconnect, obviously are bigger. They, they are real offenders. The one that you have is just two heads looking in different directions. But here is like, look, three heads, three people, and they're all, what are they looking at? They're all looking at different things. Because, you know, because they, they all have different things to oh, do in the whatever. movie. It makes it seem like there's like three different a, things to worry about, three different a, action points, it's, plots, yeah, narrative ways, all but coming it's, together. But it's one of those. It's one of those graphic marketing concepts that is that is so overused because you you're supposed to look at it and go, oh my gosh, what's he looking at? Something interesting. Look, she's looking at something. Must be something else interesting. Oh, and that third guy, he's really absorbed. Wow, three people looking at three different interesting things. My goodness, there must be a lot of interesting things in this movie if three people are looking at three different interesting things. It's the stupidest thing ever. I hate this. I, I truly hate the concept. It's done. It's overused. Get rid of it. Enough with the heads looking at different things. Uh, Disconnect is on Blu-ray and, uh, and uh, Ultraviolet. Uh, neither one of them terribly impressed the hell out of me. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is another kind of tech thriller. And there are just way too damn many of those these days. I'm a little bit kind of uh, surprised that, uh, that Paula Patton and Alexander Skarsgård would show up in this. I kind of always thought that they were, you know, better than this kind of material. Um, but whatever. It's, uh, you know, these, these cyber thrilly, thrillers just all kind of traffic in the same thing. And they all use technology way too much. And ultimately when all the, the threads start to kind of connect, they, they, they disconnect. And that's the title of the movie is very apt. You know, Drift is really interesting to me. Uh, also, Blu-ray and uh, Ultraviolet. Um, boy, how far the mighty have fallen. Once upon a time, Sam Worthington was the guy. He was in, like, three of the biggest movies in one year. And uh, all of them, you know, either part of a franchise or franchise launchers, including the biggest movie of all time. And now he's in, uh, he's in a little surfing movie. Because you know what? And he's because not even people, recognizable. Because people finally realize that this guy is a charisma hole. He is charisma and he free. Was, and he was almost the next Mad Max. You know that, right? Well, they got the Mad Max that they need. I know, but, but he was almost the next Mad Max. He was like, he was the one when Mel Gibson, when it was like, you know what, Mel, you're, you're indecisive, you're a jerk, uh, you're, you're an alcoholic, you're, you're a little bit mentally unstable, and you're just getting too damn old, and you're taking too damn long to commit to this movie. Can't do it. Me, mighty God, George Miller, I'm just going to cast a new actor. We're just going to start all over, different Mad Max. And he's going to be Sam Worthington. And everybody's like, who? Oh, an Australian? All right, another Australian. And, and then Avatar, and you thought, oh my gosh, this guy's taken off. And then suddenly he gets dumped from the Mad Max movie. Not sure why, but Tom Hardy, better choice. Oh, Tom Hardy's the best. Yep, Love Tom him. Hardy, better choice. By the way, there's a new Tom Hardy movie that's been doing the festival rounds. I know. Movie. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? Lock? Yes. I'm just, into him it. In, just him in a car and a cell phone. Yeah, I'm into it. Didn't Sweet. Seem, it doesn't seem like much in the, uh, in, the, in, in the log line, but I guess it's great. I'd, you know what? Honestly, you get a great actor, you hand them that kind of a scenario. I'm, I'm all over it. Anyway, so Sam Worthington, along with Miles Pollard and Xavier Samuel, don't know who they are, never heard of them. Um, the true story, surfing movie. You know what, surfing movies, they're all pretty much the same, man. And ever since Big Wednesday, uh, they really haven't given me anything different. Now, this is different only because it is Sam Worthington being a native Australian. It's an Australian surfing movie. And so the waves are a little bit different than they would be in Bali or in Southern California or Hawaii. But I don't really care. Uh, just a group of brothers surfing, and uh, you know their 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 family relationships, whatever. I, I it's I grew up with surfers. I'm not a surfer, but it just didn't do much for me. And then somebody up there likes me is uh, kind of a, was a surprising little uh, indie hit this year, and uh, I think it's probably a little overrated. But um, worth checking out. It is. Uh, it, it just blows through like three decades in the life of a character played by Keith Polson, and um, uh, it's sort of about a you know a, a romantic triangle: two guys, he and his buddy, and uh, who love this same woman, and all the things that transpired. And what makes this movie interesting is that it's got these uh, these little animated uh, tidbits in there. 
and um, kind of a real funky style. It's it's a worthwhile little uh, odd movie, but it, again, it is an odd little indie, and it is noteworthy because it is, in fact, an odd little indie. Uh, wait, real quick, uh, we have the latest from Uwe Boll. Oh, jeez. Uwe Boll, the world's worst director, who oh normally gosh. does uh, video game adaptations, has now decided to remake the 1950s kind of classic... As we all know, directed by my step-grandfather. Ugh. Suddenly. Suddenly was a uh, 1950s film with Frank Sinatra, directed by Lewis Allen. Um, and it's about a uh, plot to kill the president. And it has been sort of remade or reimagined, also as Suddenly, with uh, Ray Liotta and uh, Michael Pere, ladies and gentlemen. What happened to him? Michael oh, my Pere. gosh. Michael Pere. Yes. Maybe in the cruisers. This is... Uh, the Philadelphia be- experiment. Because it's, it's Uwe Boll, it's going to be two things. It's going to be bad... But it's also going to have a certain amount of cheesy energy to it. Yeah. So I would have to say, if you are, if this, if this Blu-ray is uh, is is wrapped in its wrapping, yeah. but maybe sitting in a gutter somewhere, where you can just sort of pick it up and dry it off and take it home. Sure. You can watch it. All right. Otherwise, uh, I would pass, and of course, I would uh, go for the original from the 1950s, directed by my step grandfather. Nice. Well done. Suddenly. Now, th- that movie's not based on the Lionel Richie song. A uh, few television things to cover here. Uh, one, uh, Bates Motel, season one. You know what, Mark? Good show. Uh, really? I, I you was, of all people, I'm surprised. I know, I know. it's a good show. I, and a lot of our uh, listeners were like, no, give it a chance, give it a chance, don't be so negative. Because I, was, I, I looked at it and I'm like, you know what, I, this just looks like... Hannibal and Bates Motel and all these uh, let's, let's just get every serial killer movie um, and let's try to franchise it into a TV show and it's never going to work because it's, it's TV You're not, you, even on cable you can't go to where these things need to go but you know what they did it right Bates Motel is really not bad at all um, put it together really nicely Vera Farmiga uh, is really good I mean she just brings the goods and um, the nice thing here is that it really does try to be kind of psychological. It, uh, it tries to do more with Norman Bates than I think even Psycho did as a, as a movie. It's not like a, the prequel series to Psycho. Nobody should think like, oh, cool, I'll, it'll, it, it, where Psycho picks up is where this series leaves off. No, it's just it's a different take, you know? It's a different interpretation. I am I'm dumbfounded that you like this. It's good. It's really good. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see where it, uh, where it kind of goes from here. But yeah, there you go. Uh, that is season one of Bates Motel, Blu-ray and Ultraviolet. I don't know if you're going to really want to be watching this in Ultraviolet. It is, uh, it is really very nicely shot, very nicely put together, and um, not bad. A bunch of, bunch of extras on this thing, by the way. Tons and tons of extras. Uh, Wade Nashville is the... Uh ABC show that is... This show sucks. People love this show. This it's show... Really, it you know really what? stinks. This show, it's about, a, uh, it's about an older country artist who is uh, you know, threatened by a younger country artist. Yeah, it's, and, it's, just, uh, it's just a soap opera. It's really... That's good. what it is. It's, it, it is a soap opera. It's all and about Eve. You, it's all about Eve set in Nashville. That's and right. It's just really, it's really bad. And every time I talk to a woman about this show, they just love... They love the camp and the juiciness of it and the Co-crea- backbiting. Co-created by step. Kelly Curry. Co-created by Kelly Curry. Kelly Curry, Oscar winner for uh, Thelma Louise. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Nashville complete for a season. Connie Britton, Hayden uh, Panettiere. Now this is not on. Um, at least we didn't get the Blu-ray. Not on, no, it's not on Blu-ray. It's not on Blu-ray, which I find interesting. Um, anyway, not for guys, all for girls. A couple good bonus features on this thing, including uh, a, a couple of fe- like behind-the-scenes featurettes, and there's a featurette on the music. Uh, which I don't like because I'm not a big country star. Even like sort of like you know, some of the country music on this in this show is kind of country, but some of it is like kind of that nouveau poppy country that's not really right. country anymore. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Nashville. I'm a guy. Don't like it. Okay. Uh, another thing I don't like is uh, CSI whatever. This one's actually called CSI whatever. Yeah, I know that. And uh, this is the original CSI in its thirteenth flipping season. Unreal, right? However, it does give Ted Danson work, and that's good. And it does give Elizabeth Shue work, and that's is, good, is too. Isn't that wild how you would have thought that this show would just be dead when they lost uh, Mark Helgenberger and, and What's-His-Bucket? And uh, William, you know, whatever. Peterson? Yeah, William Peterson. And, and now it's like, uh, oh, look, we went and got Sam Malone and the, the woman who should have won an Oscar for uh, the Nick Cage 
thing. Driving Miss Daisy, leaving Las Vegas. Drunk and drunk in Las Vegas. Leaving Las, leaving Miss Daisy. Leaving Miss Daisy. Drunk in Las Vegas. Drunk in Las Vegas. Anyway, CSI, whatever is. Miss Daisy, uh, Miss Daisy got show. Miss Daisy got drunk and she banged Nick Cage in Vegas. It's a horrible movie. It's a dual sequel. Speaking of Vegas, the, you know, you know, sometimes you you are surprised when you hear about a particular movie actor who has who decides to do TV. Yeah. And I was like, are you kidding? Dennis Quaid? Yeah, I know, right? He's going to do... Va- you would think that Dennis Quaid would at least warrant a low-level HBO show. <laughs> you know, like, maybe yeah. not like Star in the Sopranos type yeah. of... Or Game of thrones type of, like, high-end mm-hmm. HBO, but at least sure. a mid-level HBO show. Right. Or maybe a high-end Showtime show. I hear you. But are you kidding me? I know. Vegas? This is terrible. It's also with uh, Michael uh, Chiklis. Who is prone to overacting and scouring a lot? I feel bad for I feel bad for him. You know, he's never had a woman in his life, huh? Because he's chickless. You see, it was a, it was a pun. That's I almost okay. I'm, uh, that was almost funny. Okay, thank you. Because uh, I didn't know where you were going with it, <laughs> and I knew it was going to be bad, but then it wound up. It really wasn't horrible. Okay, but also Carrie Ann Moss is in it. So look, the, the the cast is good. It's just it just feels. Put it mm-hmm. this way: If you did not have the star of The Matrix and uh, you know an, an ageless, an agelessly handsome I Dennis know. Quaid in it and Michael Chiklis in it, it, you would think that this show is just terrible. I hear you, but it's got a good cast, and uh, you know, it's, look, it's it's pretty well shot too. The streets of Vegas are nicely watered down, so yep. that uh, you know the light bounces off the pavement. Indeed, you do. love that. But otherwise, not into it. All right, Mark, I'm going to blow through some foreign, and then you do the music, and then we'll see what we got time to wrap out with there. Uh, we're only 60 wrap minutes. Wrap out? good 15 minutes in the show. I know. It just, it just feels like it's going so quickly. No, we've got, we got plenty of stuff. We've got, uh, got some older movies, and uh, we may get around to some British TV and some docs here. We'll... Uh, We'll see what we can get to. Uh, some amazing foreign stuff this week, really, just some outstanding stuff. Top of the heap, uh, the new Criterion release of Autumn Sonata, which is just so unbelievably beautiful. Now, I should point out, I am not the biggest fan in the world of Autumn Sonata. Uh, a lot of Ingmar Bergman films that I love, a lot of Ingmar Bergman films that just kind of grate on me, and Autumn Sonata is one of those that kind of grated on me for a long time. I have not fully warmed to it. Uh, but I'm slowly kind of warming to it now. The, the the story here this is this is just a grueling, grueling reconciliation story, with Liv Ullman playing the uh, the daughter who always lived uh, kind of in the uh, in the shadow of her great mother and her great mother played by uh, Ingrid Bergman in you know one of Ingrid Bergman's last roles, and it is just you know spill your guts, spill your spleen, spill your bile, just. just wrestle with this this horrible horrible family um, dysfunctionality and then on top of that there's a handicapped uh, sister that just, who you know crawls along and moans and at the most arduous points of the movie it really really is a slog that being said if you love this movie there's there's an onset behind the scenes documentary that is three and a half hours long it is more than twice as long as the movie itself so you, if, you, if, you, if you don't buy this for the movie, buy it for the documentary, which is extraordinary. Extraordinary, because you just, you're exposed to the process of a great filmmaker. And notwithstanding the movie, the process itself is riveting, absolutely riveting. A lot of other interesting stuff here, including a conversation between uh, Ingrid Bergman and John Russell Taylor at the National Film uh, Theater in London back in 1981. And uh, a great commentary from Peter Cowie, who always does great commentaries for uh, Criterion releases. So that is just first rate. The Autumn Sonata Blu-ray is not to be missed. Also a fun movie, War of the Buttons, uh, which is a, a lovely little, uh, little French film that I'm really shocked the Weinsteins didn't kind of get more traction out of this. But uh, anyway... It's about uh, this strange little kind of kids' war that takes place in uh, during World War II, and it is really quite sweet, very original, uh, has some wonderful music and some pretty decent performances, including from uh, Guillaume Canet, who seems to be in every damn thing these days. So, by the way, Guillaume Canet, of course, was married to uh, Marion Cotillard. Really? Yeah. He nailed that one, man. I know. I mean, dude is just... Man. How do he, how do, he do that? Uh, Violetta Went to Heaven... Uh, is an interesting little uh, Sundance hit from Kino Lorber that is the true story of a folklore singer from Chile named Violeta Parra 
who uh, you know had a really interesting life. She was impoverished, and then she eventually kind of became this uh, this kind of neo Marxist uh, commune figure, and uh, you know famous in Europe and uh, expat in her own native Chile, and all kinds of fascinating little twists and turns to her life. Uh, you could almost say this is a little bit like uh, Bound for Glory, the Chilean version. It's nicely done. The performance, the lead performance, is uh, is just absolutely outstanding, um, and uh, it's a, it's worth watching if you're into that scene. If the idea of a, Chile, a famous Chilean folk singer uh, biopic is interesting to you, definitely check it out. But I don't think anyone who's not necessarily inclined to that is going to go, oh, I you know I I think I'll hold off on watching Iron Man three because that sounds that Violetta movie sounds really interesting. No. That's no, not going to happen. Jean-Pierre Melville's uh, Two Men in Manhattan stars uh, Melville himself and Pierre Grasset. This is out on Blu-ray from the uh, good people at Cohen, who I love very much because they enabled me to do my commentary for uh, the Bronte sisters. So I'm not going to say any bad thing about any more of their movies ever again. Not that I ever did. I think they are wonderful, and I love their clear plastic Blu-ray packages. It's got a real, it's got a real deal to it, you know? <laughs> It's got a real deal to it. It's got a real deal to it. It looks, it's cool. It's different. It's like you want to put it next to your Criterion's on your shelf. I think it's awesome. Um, anyway, this is a, this is a pretty slick little film from 1959, the the heyday of Melville, and uh, it's a, it's a cool little uh, Melvillean thriller. I think it's uh, one of the ones that people probably have not heard a lot of. But uh, two men in Manhattan, it, it's a French UN delegate has vanished, right? And so uh, Melville plays this reporter uh, who has to uh, team up with a, uh, a photographer and try to figure out where he is. And it's great. It's kind of noirish and it's kind of thrillery and mystery-like, and uh, it's good. It's uh, it's really it's classic Melville. You got to dig it. And Melville himself is is great. A lot of interesting uh, extras on here, including an essay by a Melville scholar and a uh, critic conversation. It's good stuff. First-rate Blu-ray. Another neat little French uh, romantic comedy called What If? with uh, Thierry Lhermitte in a... Uh, a Thierry the Meat? Thierry Lhermitte in a great supporting role. The other two people I've never heard of, Alice Taglioni and uh, Jocelyn Quiverin. You know what? You're telling me you don't know Jocelyn Quiverin? No. She starred in the, um, in the, uh, the Jocelyn Quiverin story. This is basically like Adam's Rib, the French version, by the way. And uh, they're not married, but it's about a couple of lawyers who are at a firm. And anyway, it uh, it does it does something interesting though. It does a thing that uh, Kieslowski did in one of his films, and um, it looks at how their lives would have been under two different circumstances. So it does want that little kind of bifurcation scenario, like what if this is one way, and what if this way? You know, if he'd gotten the promotion, if she'd gotten the promotion. Really interesting little film. And that's from First Run Features. It comes in uh, their little eco-packaging, which is, you know, razor thin, but uh, it, it will save the planet. I swear it will. And, Mark, uh, my pick this week, believe it or not, is split between two movies. Another Criterion and another Cohen. Now, we just talked about a Criterion, we talked about a Cohen. First, I'm going to talk about the Criterion. La Cajo Fall, Blu-ray, Awesome. Um, if you haven't seen La Cajo Fall, you've missed out on one of the great comedies of all time from 1978. Uh, just a, a, an unbelievably classic movie. Great Ennio Morricone music. Maybe the best film uh, ever uh, ever directed by Eduardo Molinaro. And uh, it's just wonderful. It's funny. It's crazy. If you've seen The Birdcage, the American uh, comedy with uh, Robin Williams, that's basically a remake of this. Um, it's just wonderful. And Michel Serrault gives the performance of a lifetime in this movie. Uh, if you're not into, you know, drag performance and, and all that stuff, then uh, you're not going to like it. But I think drag is just great. And uh, there is a booklet with an essay by David Ehrenstein. Yes! There you go. And it's a great one, because David is. is a great writer. David is a terrific writer. And a great guy, too. And who, then who my... doesn't have a car? <laughs> Can we, can we say that? Can we mention this? So David Ehrenstein, who's a great writer and a great guy, is a member of the LA Film Critics Association. And every time we have a meeting, literally, probably between 72 and 48 hours before every LAFCA meeting, he sends out an email to the entire group saying, can I get a lift? <laughs> To the meeting, because I guess he doesn't have a car. Doesn't have a car. And then what did? Uh, and then was it? Was it Peter Rayner? <laughs> it was Peter Rayner. Who, who, who he responded with something very funny, which you might remember. Oh gosh, that was so brilliant. What Hold did he on. say? I've got to find it now. Um, I've got to find it. It's now we just... all know that film critics are not like a wealthy lot. 
unless you're like you know Roger yeah. Ebert or you're Leonard Maltin and you're just constantly writing books and whatever. But uh, so uh, I, I get that David Ehrenstein does not own a car, but yeah. he's still of a certain age that he needs to own a car. <laughs> All right, so oh, Wade is going to look. Here's the thing. Wade's going to look I'm up what. Uh, to find it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to stall me, for time. Let me finish. Let me finish my. Let me I was going to stall other. for time and do the music while you looked up the Peter. Well, Rainer let me. Thing. My other pick of the week. The other. The other Cohen is uh, Blanca Nieves. Uh, Blanca Nieves is a, a Spanish film uh, by Pablo Berger, and if you don't know, Blanca Nieves means Snow White, and this is on DVD and Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is the one I was most eager to see because it is just it, this movie is so beautifully shot. Um, it's a silent film. It is Snow White as a, con- well, a relatively contemporary 20th, 20th century um, silent film that takes place basically in the, uh, in the 1920s in Seville. And it is, you know, all set around bullfighting, right? Like in this case, Snow White is the daughter of a bullfighter, so he's not a king. He was a bullfighter, so he was a kind of king. And uh, the evil stepmother who takes over the empire after he's killed. And it's just, uh, it's just fantastic. It just is absolutely fantastic, and of course the dwarves. The, the, the dwarves are like traveling carnival midgets. You know, there's a whole. It's just great. And if you and if you if you love the whole kind of nouveau silent thing that started with the artist, in many respects, this continues it. It's shot like a silent film. It's executed beautifully. It's it like uh, it's like uh, Guy Madden. So yeah, a little bit, but Guy Madden's more obscure and kind of cynical. Uh, absolutely fantastic. It's got a making of um, a featurette on it, the, a little introduction by the director, and uh, a, 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 bunch, a couple other things. Um, but the movie itself is just fantastic. It's just so gorgeous, and the Blu-ray is so first-rate. I would recommend people buy this. It, will, it is a delight you'll want to watch over and over and over again. And the music could not be better. Could not be better. All right. I'm going to look for Peter Ranger's comment. You talk about music. Yeah, it's actually kind of a week, uh, a week, week. The music. So where do we start? You know what? Let's start with UB40. Uh, the Live at Montrose series was just will not end. You know what? Someone is going to build a skyscraper based on used Live at Montrose Blu-rays. Uh, this is UB40. UB40. They are a very successful British act. Um, this was their concert from 2002. You may or may not know a lot of their famous, most famous songs. The way you do the thing you do. The way you do the things you do. Kind of a had, had kind of a reggae thing going on, which is kind of fun. A lot of this stuff had had a reggae thing going on. Um, Many rivers to cross. Uh, here I am. So that is uh, UB40 live at Montreux. Sounds great. It's on Blu-ray, even though it's a it's in 2002, so it's a bit it's a little bit before like the super incredible Blu-ray sound that we're now used to. But it still uh, sounds good if you like UB40. Also, uh, Rainbow. Rainbow was one of those um, kind of 80s. Bands they had a lot of turnover in their uh, in their personnel, but this is uh, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow in a DVD called uh, Black Masquerade. This was a 1995 concert filmed in uh, Germany for a, a TV show, and you'll hear a lot of their famous songs if you happen to know what they are. Uh, they do play Smoke on the Water because again there was some crossover between um, Rainbow and Deep Purple uh, personnel wise. So you do get Smoke on the Water and a couple of their other good songs like Black Masquerade and. Um, uh, hunting humans and long live rock. So anyway, that's Rainbow. Mike and the Mechanics is a band that had a moment. It was uh, made up of this one guy, Mike Rutherford, who used to be a member of Genesis, and they had some interesting songs in like the '80s, including uh, "Another Cup of Coffee" and "If I Were You" and "Now That You've Gone." Um, and these guys were very poppy with a little bit of prog rock. They weren't that bad, but I don't think their stuff really holds up that well. Um, anyway, this is Mike and the Mechanics. Uh, this is a, a concert at uh, Shepherd's uh, Bush in London. And if you like them, you'll like this. But, you know, I don't think their music holds up that well. I mean, they're great musicians, but in terms of, you know, like timeless music, I, I'm, I'm not buying Mike and the Mechanics. Finally, we're going to have, ladies and gentlemen, live at the Royal Albert Hall, Neil Sedaka. The show goes on. Yeah. Now, Neil Sedaka is one of those songwriters from the 60s and 70s. He's, he's a little like um, Barry Manilow, where he's like kind of super cheesy, but if you read about him and the songs that he wrote, you're like, wow, he wrote that? Unbelievable. Um, he wrote, in the 60s, he wrote a lot of 
top 20 hits. Bra- his, 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 I, I his signature song is Breaking Up is Hard to Do. That's oh, a signature it, song. It, walking in the Rain. Come walking on. in the Rain. Oh, another, another sig- Calendar Girls, best. another signature song of his. Uh, he also wrote a lot of songs for other people. Um, you know, he kind of died a little bit in the, in the mid-60s, but then in the cheese ball era of like the early 70s, he kind of came back. Um, so Neil Sedaka, this is at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, so it's great. It's got all of his, you know, hits. Break It Up Is Hard To Do, Happy Birthday Sweet Sixteen, Stairway To Heaven, not that one, the other Stairway To Heaven, his Stairway To Heaven, uh, The Immigrant. Um, so, you know, it's fun stuff. <laughs> He's so cheesy. Peter, Peter Rayner's comment was, recommend that at the next meeting we take a vote to uh, budget for a livery service for David Ehrenstein. <laughs> a livery service. I love livery service. That's great. I, you know what? I just love the word livery service. It's just, How did it do that? I don't Who know. Who came up with livery he's, service? He's is, a, is that like delivery service? Did the D off it? You know, he, 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 was, he, he almost won a Pulitzer. David? Yeah. No, no. Peter Rayner. Oh, he did? Yeah. For what? For Just for film criticism. Did he submit himself? No, or? he was submitted. He was, he was like, you know, one of the finalists or whatever. There are only two film critics who ever won Pulitzers, which is Ebert and, uh, and Joe Morgenstern. They're the only ones who ever won Pulitzers. But Rainer came close. So you're telling me? Yeah. You're telling me that uh, Willy Waffle from Willy Waffle's movies? Correct. Did has not, not want to pull no, no, absolutely not. You no. know what? I guarantee you that most of these critics who work today, yeah, they would rather have. What are you doing? What, what? Are you doing? what am I oh, doing? You're pulling my mic. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they would rather have another. Your, yeah. They would rather have another thousand hits on the website than win a Pulitzer. Yeah. Because I don't think they know what a Pulitzer is or, no, or why it's important or care. what it means in somebody's career. Don't care. Rather have another thousand hits. There you go. Uh, well, wait, I would like to go on record as saying that um, uh, Peter Rayner's comment, although funny, not worth the wait. No, definitely not. Uh, so anyway, quickly, a couple of last uh, foreign language films to make mention of. Uh, in the Fog is uh, something, it won the Fipresky Prize at Cannes. If you don't know what that is, it doesn't matter. It's not that important. This was also kind of a big deal at the uh, Toronto Film Festival. Uh, it's uh, set in Russia during World War II, uh, dur- under you know during while well, Germany is just pounding the crap out of the Russians, and it's uh, basically about a you know a part of the war that the partisans wage against the Germans. It's it's nicely done. Nothing particularly remarkable, but it is uh, it is nicely done. That's in the fog, which is um, from uh, Strand releasing. And then the Canadian Oscar nominee from last year, War Witch, uh, by Kim Wynn, which is a really good film. Um, I'm, I was surprised. This is from uh, Cinedime through their Tribeca film uh, label. I was surprised this didn't get any more love from uh, critics groups, to be honest. Did you, did you, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, yes, it's a Canadian foreign language film, but it's all kind of about, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the various guerrilla wars in Africa. And it's Canadian. Let's kill someone, eh? Uh, okay. Yeah, but but Boom. really, it's it's you know forget about it being Canadian. It is actually one of the best looks at, at the the reality of guerrilla warfare in Africa that I, you'll ever see. It's okay. just it's a it's a beautiful film. I need really, to reload. Really Can you please not shoot at me? I need to oh, reload. Oh stop! Okay? Oh stop! Okay. Uh, classic movies, Mark. What do we got? You are saying that because you think Slacker is a classic movie. Well, it obviously warranted a Criterion release. Yes, it did. Um, and, and Richard Linklater is no slouch, man. He is. His uh, career is a weird career. I don't know if I really like a lot of his stuff. What do you think of Richard uh, Link? I love Link- School Link- of Rock. See, everything everything it, else I'm iffy on. But I mean, and look, is, I say I love School of Rock and I love uh, Dazed and Confused. And how about the uh, Sunset films? Before uh, Sunset, uh, after yeah, Sunset, during Sunset, know, here uh, comes Sunset. Yeah, I, I know some people just totally vibe to those. It, it, they are a little bit cloying to me. You know, uh, it, although it, it's, it's an interesting career because he, he can do... He, he has a very uh, varied career. Yeah. I, I don't know that his career really developed into anything much. Uh, he just sort of does a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Because um, you got a guy who did, who's done the Sunset trilogy before, I mean, the, you know, before Sunset and before Midnight and before Sunrise and whatever. So he did those, which are very, very slow and character-based and a bunch of people talking. Then he'll do like his early stuff, Days and Confused, and of course Slacker, uh, which was his coming out party. Uh, but then he'll also do like a Scanner Darkly, which is weird, and School of Rock, which is a bunch of rock and roll funny comedies. And then he'll do like the Newton Boys, which is sort of this misfire of a prohibition, I think it was, story with uh, Matthew McConaughey. So he's had an interesting career, but uh, Slacker is where it all started from 1991, and it's a day in the life of uh, a bunch of kids in Austin, Texas. 
and it was shot on 16 for very little money. And, uh, you know, it was just a crew of friends and buddies helping them out to get this thing done. And it became a little bit like, um, uh, what's it called, uh, Clerks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that was, 1991 was, that was sort of that I think Slacker's better than Clerks, though. Clerks tries to shock too much. Slacker actually is a really interesting, it, it's, a, it's an interesting movie. It's a, it's a more intelligent movie uh, about its subject than it really has any business being. Well, you know and I think is, that's it's, why it's kind of a cult classic. It's, it's, it's aimless, but not, like, pointless. Yeah. You know, which I kind of like about it. And it seems very of the moment. It seems like those people were kind of real to a lot of people. Um, it's very because it's kind of like observational in that way. So uh, I do agree that I like Slacker much more than I like Clerks. Um, and it's funny how you know Kevin Smith's career hasn't really done much either. No, really, no, it hasn't. And I mean, Linklater's done better than Kevin Smith, but neither of them. It's just it was a funny time in American filmmaking that early '90s thing, where a bunch of like even Robert Rodriguez, you know, yeah. a bunch of guys who grew up on Indiana Jones. And they, they go to film school, they get a 16mm camera for their birthday, and they make it happen. And you really got to respect that. But totally. of course, because it's a criterion, there's a lot of great um, special features on it. Um, there's also Linklater's first feature from 88 called It's Impossible to Learn to Plow by Reading Books, which is on the uh, Blu-ray. There's casting tapes and audition tapes and early, early, early uh, film treatment stuff that he had tried to do with the movie. Uh, there's home movies. There's a 10-minute trailer for a documentary he did. Uh, in 2005 A lot of good stuff Well recommended Slacker And uh, Warner Archive Has uh, You know They're releasing Tons of stuff Every single month And we only get A handful of them You know They, they, they limit us To three requests So I always pull out uh, Three from the, the list That are representative Of I think What they're, what they're trying to do and, uh, but by all means, always go to warnerarchive.com And check out all the films That are uh, constantly coming out A lot of them are things That were out of print if you see something that you know is for like on eBay for you know eighty dollars because it's out of print, don't necessarily assume that. Go to uh, WarnerArchive.com. It might be something that they have popped over onto their uh, manufacture on demand MOD line. Uh, the Red Badge of Courage is a pretty decent movie. I'm not a fan of the book. I don't particularly like the story. Um, John Huston made many many other better films. That being said. Uh, Audie Murphy, who was a war hero, a real war hero, who even starred in a, uh, a movie as himself about him, his own experiences in World War II, uh, here stars in The Red Badge of Courage. So, uh, you know, with John Huston directing and Audie Murphy, you know, starring, it, it had a, a real, like, inside cachet at the time. It was like a cute little wink at, uh, at you know, hey, look, let's take the World War II hero and cast him in this story about, a, uh, a, you know, the, uh, the ultimate uh, Civil War, anti-war movie. At the time, much bigger deal than it would be today Because all of that is going to be lost in modern audiences But, um, you know, that being said Look, it's, it's still a decent film And uh, it, is very, it is surprisingly faithful to the, uh, to the source material uh, The Accursed is uh, one of those kind of cool little movies That gets lost and just because it doesn't have any super major stars in it And a lot of people just kind of uh, forget that these movies exist but you know what? Never mind the fact that it doesn't have any sort of major stars in it. It's actually a really, really suspenseful uh, little gem, and uh, definitely worth checking out. It, um, uh, it, it there are it, it's even in the the notes they even make mention of this that this is a movie that in many ways is uh, thought to have inspired uh, the Ronald Harwood play The Dresser that was uh, made in the movie starring uh, Albert Finney and uh, Tom Courtney back in 1983, uh, directed by Peter Yates. Great periods, but anyway, the accursed is uh, is an act. It's a 1958 uh, spy movie, and uh, has a lot of interesting little uh, cool edges to it. So it's a cool spy era noir. The Frozen Dead with Dana Andrews. Uh, Dana Andrews, one of those guys. He, he seemed to get everybody else's hand me downs for the longest time, and this is a strange twist for him. This is a, uh, a sci-fi horror movie of all things that takes place uh, 20 years after the end of World War II. And the remaining Nazis who are still loitering around uh, are still trying to bring the Third Reich back to uh, life, this time through cryogenics. And boy, is this movie really odd. It, it, this speaks to the, the whole strange kind of um, B-movie exploitation subculture that evolved uh, in the 50s, which, of course, we talked about in Schlock. But it's amazing when somebody like Dana Andrews shows up in something like that and, and validates it. 
not one of the great musicals of all time, but Judy Garland and Van Heflin uh, in presenting Lily Mars are, are lovely. Uh, you know, the, the movie itself is a little bit boilerplate, a little bit, um, a little bit routine, uh, but it, it certainly uh, for a, a, a musical of the era, it, it hits, uh, hits all the beats. And then out once again, uh, previously discontinued, based on the Robert Louis Stevenson novel, is Errol Flynn in The Master of Ballantrae, one of, the, uh, one of those lovely swashbucklers that he did so well at the time. Again, not a great film, but beautifully photographed, a really nice Technicolor, and uh, certainly good for, uh, for fans of Errol Flynn, so that's worth checking out. That's been out previously, and it was also in a boxed set that is also uh, out of print. So if you want to see The Master of Ballantrae, that's once again available. Wade, be quiet. Um, So we talk a lot about uh, the production code and the pre-code and the production code and what that meant between, let's say, 1934 and 1968, but we have not talked a lot about Poverty Row Studios. Now, Wade, in the uh, late 20s through the 30s, whereas all the big studios, they were doing their big uh, production code films, there was a bunch of little tiny B-movie studios, Mm -hmm. and they all went under the collective name of Poverty Row Studios. Yep. They were very much sort of pre-Corman type productions shot in a couple days yep. very little money all the independent theaters that didn't book the big studio films very wound true. up booking a lot of these Poverty Row studio movies and uh, Kino has resurrected one of the better ones which is uh, called The Devil Bat now The Devil Bat is with Bela Lugosi and it's got uh, it's, the, it's probably the stupidest premise you'll ever hear for a, for a movie but it's still awesome because it's The Devil Bat basically uh, a Bela Lugosi stars as this cosmetic scientist and he feels like he's been screwed out of the profits of his cosmetics company. So he creates a special lotion, right? Because he's, he's a cosmetics of company course. chemist. Creates a special lotion. And he passes the lotion out to his enemies as a tester. Hey, man, test out this lotion. I'm seeing if it's working for you, you know? So they put the lotion on. And then the lotion attracts these bats. And the bats kill them. Wow. That's the devil bat. So I guess this will, this, this will, not, true be, story. This will not be sponsored by Herbalife. That's correct. Okay. Uh, so By the way, Ad- Antonio Villaraigosa, former mayor of Los Angeles, now an advisor to Herbalife. Herbalife. Uh, that's called "Give me money, and I'll put my name on whatever <laughs> crappy product you have." Like, no, you, what's that? Um, what is that cosmetics company? I think they're, they're like a pimple cream company, Invicta or in something, and they get the biggest celeb. Like P Diddy did. The P yeah. Diddy did their uh, yeah. infomercial. And Julia Huff did their infomercial. A lot of huge stars do the infomercials for this one particular company. Uh, Reactor, proact- proactive, whatever it is, Isn't it proactive. Yeah, oh, something wait. like that. Anyway, that has nothing to do with Devil Bat, except for the fact that Devil Bat's awesome because it's about Devil Bat. I can't beat it. Uh, so there you go. Uh, not much on the audio commentary, although uh, Richard Harlan Smith, who's done a bunch of audio commentaries, does a good one here because he kind of gets into Poverty Row Studios and what it's all about and the life of Bela Lugosi. So this is uh, on uh, Blu-ray and um, DVD. It's a good one if you like, you know, want to cheese out a little bit. The uh, the Rank collection, all the great old British films from the uh, the Rank uh, studios are. Uh, that's an ongoing series coming out from VCI. VCI is doing a wonderful job getting all that old Rank stuff out, and uh, there's a ton of them this month. Uh, the uh, Carry On films, of which there are like you know like thirty, forty. I lost track. They're all really, really funny, and uh, they, it'll be interesting to see if anybody can ever do a complete box set of the Carry On films because the rights are all over the place. They're not all owned by the same people. It would be even more of a challenge than the recent, uh, probably the 13th box set, which has required two studios to get their act together. Um, anyway, there are eight carry-on films on four discs on uh, their volume two, which are all hysterical. The, the carry-on films are always outrageously funny. Carry-on behind, carry-on abroad, carry-on dick. Uh, you write your own jokes. These movies are just a riot. They're, they're just so much fun. Uh, and then uh, standalone discs include a couple of Dirk Bogard movies here. If you're a Dirk Bogard fan, uh, The High Bright Sun with Susan Strasberg, the daughter of Lee Strasberg, and uh, Dirk Bogard and Richard Attenborough, very young Attenborough, young Attenborough, in uh, Boys in Brown. Uh, Dirk Bogard, terrific in both of them. Uh, Boys in Brown, a little bit more interesting because it's one of those uh, social realist films from the uh, kitchen sink realism, the angry young men period. Um, and uh, you know you don't you don't really think of Dirk Bogart as being an angry young man, but uh, he does it wonderfully. And Richard Attenborough, of course, just absolutely terrific. So that's from 1949, just on the cusp of when British films were going into that uh, that new vein. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth, Mark. Friday the Thirteenth. Who knew that Rank actually made a Jason movie? They uh, did not. They did nothing. That's that crazy talk. Nothing to do with it. 
this is a, this, it's called Friday the 13th, but it's 13th written out in letters, not the number 13 with the TH at the end of it. And uh, this, is a, this is just a drama about a tragedy uh, that takes place in London and uh, the, you know, the different the interthreaded stories that kind of lead up to it. It's, um, it, I guess you could in some way say it's a little bit like, um, you know, something like, I don't know, like Magnolia a little bit. Um, it's an early kind of portmanteau effort uh, from 1933, a little bit more inspired probably by um, Grand Hotel Across the Pond. The Man from Toronto, starring the same guy who stars in, in, in that movie, Jesse Matthews, who was kind of a star at the time and doesn't really exist anymore. Um, Jesse Matthews in uh, both The Man from Toronto and The Good Companions. Um, neither of these are particularly great, but if you are a Jesse Matthews fan, and I frankly had never heard of the guy before seeing these movies, uh, the only thing that was interesting to me was Edmund Gwen in uh, The Good Companions, because I love Edmund Gwen because he was uh, Santa Claus in uh, Miracle on 34th Street. So otherwise, these are just uh, you know mid-level uh, British films from the uh, 1930s, 1932-33. Early sound efforts and uh, kind of clunky as a result. But if you're a rank fan, if you're a completist, they might be worth a look. Speaking of rank, are we talking about any new movies? Is there anything coming no, out that's, that people that, care about? Yeah, but they but they literally arrived like in the last forty eight hours, and uh, they, they, I, I, I got to get some to you, and I got to I got to take you some. Give, you never give anything to me. I know you didn't give me Star Trek last week. That I was know. terrible. I want Star Trek Into Darkness, even though I didn't like it that much. <laughs> I still want it. I'm a Star Trek completist. I know. I have my Star Trek uh, uh, blueprints. I know you do. I do. I know. I have my medical te- uh, reference manual. I know how to perform uh, first aid for a broken an- Andorian antenna. I could tell you all about the fact that... Cling- I have one word, stapler. That, cling- that Klingons have uh, two, uh, two livers and that uh, Vulcan urine is thick and viscous and kills plant life on contact. I know these things because I've read the Starfleet medical reference manual. I like the uh, two liver situation because that means I can uh, drink more. Yeah. That's why Klingons are you know, such alcoholics. They are. Yeah. Uh, the Night Visitor uh, stars Max von Sydow. He plays a guy who was uh, wrongly imprisoned for uh, a murder, and then he gets out of the insane asylum and wants to take revenge mm. on the people who, who uh, put him there. Um, this is just a silly movie. You know what I like about this movie is that mm. um, the problem with the movie is that uh, it's too dialogue heavy. It just, it just bloviates and talks about itself and gets to the thrills, man. Come on. I don't want a character piece. I want an axe going into a guy's head. It's what I want. All right. Unbelievable. Well, the Max von Sydow's in it, and he's awesome. But you know what? If you ever want to see Max von Sydow running through the snow in his underwear, this is the movie for you. <laughs> and really, who doesn't? I, I don't know. Exactly. Anyway, very plot-heavy, very dialogue-heavy, and uh, not that thrilling. It is The Night Visitor from, uh, it's like 1973. Uh, not a big fan. We got three from uh, Olive Films, and uh, Olive, of course, is... is Really doing such an—I mean, I, I know I say this all the time, but the stuff that they they find in the Paramount Library uh, is just so great. And these are the things that are never ever going to wind up in, um, in through the Warner distribution deal. Uh, Riot. I mean, Mark, come on, get with it. It's a William Castle film with Jim Brown and Gene Hackman. Did you ever have any idea that Gene Hackman and Jim Brown were in a movie together, I directed no, by William Castle? I had no idea that William Castle and Gene Hackman had ever. To me, they seem like two separate I generations know. of. I know. Film people. Well, it's it's not directed by William Castle. It's directed by Buzz Kulick, who did Brian's song. But it's it's you know it's a William Castle film. I mean, he shepherded this whole thing through the through the Paramount uh, architecture. And it's um it is a, it's a prison movie. It's a prison riot movie, and it is just absolutely really really cool. Um, it actually is about a real event that took place in Minnesota, and it's very very uh, it's a it's a great just a great flashback film. It's nice to see Gene Hackman at that age really ripping it up. The Atomic City is a weird little kind of culty film that I had totally for even forgotten existed, and uh, here it is again, with Gene Barry playing this uh, nuclear physicist who, uh, whose son has been kidnapped, and uh, it, it gets into all of that kind of Cold War atomic era paranoia because the, uh, what the kidnappers want is not a ransom, but they want the H-bomb. What does well, the H stand for? Hydrogen. Helium? But it's the H-bomb, right? It's, it's, we don't talk atomic weapons. the H-bomb. That's what they said back in the 50s. Really cool. 1952, just seven years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and it uh, really perfectly captures the paranoia of the era in a non-exploitive way. Uh, speaking of uh, non-exploitive, that's something that does not apply to the Ronald Neem-directed movie, 
uh, Escape from Zarain with Sal Mineo, Yul Brynner, Jack Warden, and Madeline Rue. I don't know who Madeline Rue was. I've never seen this movie. I've never heard of this movie. Um, but it's surprisingly timely because it takes place in what they say, quote-unquote, a strife-torn Arab state. Hmm. That doesn't exist anymore. This is from 1961, uh, one year before Lawrence of Arabia. I think clearly inspired by the fact that everyone knew that Lawrence of Arabia was on its way. Ronald Neem, having uh, worked with David Lean, uh, produced and directed this, and was clearly keyed into what Lean was doing with Lawrence, and thought, let's uh, see if we can beat him to the punch. And uh, there you go. They, uh, they made this uh, strange contemporary uh, oil thriller, and... Uh, you know, Bill Brenner is perfectly fine. Salminio is strangely miscast. Jack Warden is like, really? Uh, you were you're you're that old? You were in movies back then? Because that's strange. So anyway, those are three uh, perfectly cool movies from Olive. Good for you, Wade. Yep. A couple good documentaries we have down there that you're not talking about. Uh, not that one. The the next two. This is that. Okay. You know what? Fine. That's fine. Well, what? Stop that. Fine. I'll, I'll talk about... You talk about. just want to talk about movies no one cares about, whereas me, I'm a populist. Okay. Evocateur, the Morton Downey Jr. movie. If you've never heard of Morton Downey Jr., he died. He died of cancer, but he used to be... He was like the original big screaming head on television before anybody else would, had a big screaming head. And uh, he would, he was, he'd chain-smoked until uh, the end of time. And uh, this was, you know, late Reagan era And I used to watch this show all the time And it wasn't like it was overly sensationalistic He just screamed because he was just pissed off all the time At the stuff that people were saying Kind of, uh, in many ways, I guess you could sort of say He, he inspired, would you say? He inspired a lot of kind of right-wing talk radio and, Oh, absolutely And, and television Absolutely Yeah and yeah. uh, all those guys, everybody came out from Geraldo Rivera to uh, Jerry Springer. I yeah. mean, they all—you can really draw a line. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, you know, but it's it's real stuff. Anyway, this is a great documentary about him and about what he did and how he sort of uh, changed the landscape. And it's got a lot of really just great moments from the show. Um, I'd totally forgotten about this show because he, had, of course, died. And once he died, he just kind of took every, his whole legacy with him. But uh, great Blu-ray from Magnolia. And really, you know, not worth probably owning, but definitely worth a rent. I could not agree more. <laughs> I could not agree less. Uh, also, to me, Wade, the uh, pick of the week, yeah. and what's turning out to be a slow week, it, it is kind of a slow week for Sort DVDs, of a slow week, yeah. Uh, is We Steal Secrets. Now, Alex Gibney is an Academy Award winning uh, documentarian, the guy who did uh, Tactic to the Dark Side. He's done a lot of stuff since. Um, he did the uh, WikiLeaks documentary. This is uh, We Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks. This comes out uh, uh, just right before the... Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch film yeah. uh, Fifth Estate Yep But I gotta tell you Fifth Estate uh, Which I have not seen Getting mixed reviews But We Still Secrets I'm dying to see fantastic. it Fantastic This is a great documentary What's interesting about Assange Is that You know when you really think About this guy Whether you love him or hate him There's something about him That makes you not Totally trust him True He's got a very murky Sort of like What's your real deal Thing yeah. going on mm-hmm. That I don't really know What to make of him And the movie kind of Gets into that And I just think that and It's also what makes The sign so interesting But it also makes you Not know what his motives Really are And whether I should Trust him or not And uh, Gibney definitely Gets into that This thing is exhaustive It's over two hours But it's still great You know Gibney knows how to Tell the story He knows how to Move it along It's a great It's very complex But it's really It keeps you Totally riveted I really like this thing a lot. We Steal Secrets. Highly recommended. One of the best uh, documentaries of the year. Uh, you got to check it out. And, and you should check it out before you check out The Fifth Estate. Because they oh, are for sure. companions. Just, just so you know, just so you know the, the real story. Because The Fifth Estate is being criticized for playing fast and loose with the facts. Which I'm fine with, you know. But and by the way, documentaries try not to play fast and loose with yeah. the facts. But they... Look, whether you're a documentary or you're a fictional film... You're going to play fast and loose yeah. with the facts. There is no such thing as a documentary that tells the unvarnished truth about every single thing it talks True. about. Because it just can't. Because everything is seen through the eyes of an individual, a person, a director. Yeah. Who has his own opinion as, as to what to put into a documentary, what to leave out of a documentary. So it's all going to be like that. But I think in terms of exhaustiveness and, uh, and just intrigue and complexity and excitement. And uh, you just can't do much better than We Still Secrets. Totally. Got a couple of IMAX films on Blu-ray here. Uh, one is Ocean Man Extreme Dive. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's fine. I mean, uh, this is the closest you're going to get to an IMAX film at home is watching a, a nice, big, beautiful, crystal clear Blu-ray. Um, I've seen a lot, of stu- a lot of underwater photography, a lot of stunning underwater photography. This doesn't really transcend it, but it, if that's your deal, then it certainly adds to it. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of, hopefully your TV is big enough, because remember, IMAX is, you know, the, uh, the square frame. So hopefully your TV is big enough, and this is only 40 minutes long, and uh, if you can really kind of crank it up. Audio is beautiful. Audio is really, really nice. Great DTS HD. The one that's a little bit more interesting is Space Junk in 3D. And uh, this is a Blu-ray 3D and a regular Blu-ray on the one disc. Um, again, I'm not a fan of 3D, but if you're going to do 3D, this is the way to do it. Uh, Tom Wilkinson narrates this, and it's a documentary basically about all the crap that's floating around in space that's occasionally falling down, and you know what's it, what's going to happen to it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but really, really, kind of the, the 3D aspect of it is pretty cool. It uh, you know a lot of uh, kind of groovy 3D CGI imaging, and they uh, they make the effect work pretty well. So, you know, if you're just going to be, if you're going to be 3D, then own it. And this is a film that totally owns it. And uh, it's, it has a conscience, too, which I can appreciate. And um, from PBS, Life of Muhammad, which is uh, on both DVD and Blu-ray. And uh, given what's going on in the world and what's been going on for the better part of the last decade, and frankly, the better part of the last, you know, 12, 1300 years... Um, important to know who the central figure of Islam is, and most Americans don't. So you get uh, three, this is, here are the three sort of chapters here that bear this out. The Seeker, Holy Wars, and Holy Peace. And that's how they divide the life of Muhammad. And uh, if you don't, if you, if you really are not sufficiently informed about uh, the life of Muhammad and, the, and what Islam is and so forth, Definitely check this out. This was originally done for uh, BBC Television, shown here on PBS, and uh, the Blu-ray is not essential. Uh, the photography is awfully nice, and you know you could watch it on Blu-ray, but at least watch it on DVD. It is uh, enormously informing and uh, informative, and um, very, very even-handed. It's not. Uh, it's not going to sort of. It's not imbalanced. It's not like slanderous. It's not evangelical. It's very, very even-handed and very, very historically accurate and documented. So it's a nice scholarly uh, documentary on the life of Muhammad, and uh, it'll blow by. It'll blow by. It's only 180 minutes. Uh, Only 92 minutes is a very interesting film called Two Years at Sea. This is about a guy named uh, Jake Williams who uh, spent pretty much his entire life living living out in the sea, and then one day he decides he's going to live in the forest. And there's a documentary filmmaker who filmed it over the course of two years, filmed it in 16 millimeter, and followed this guy's daily life through, you know, through the over the years, the two years. Um, what's great about it is that it is done with the visuals are done with such painterly care, and it's uh, the story of this guy. He lives such a solitary existence. You feel kind of bad for him, but the way his life is portrayed, at least visually here, without commentary, without, you know, crazy voiceover, is just this guy living this eccentric life that is totally his. I mean, I don't know if this guy is living the most, the most, you know, natural humanistic life ever, or he's just like a lonely homeless man, but whatever he is, uh, it is conveyed by Ben Rivers in just the most beautiful fashion, and it's a very interesting film called Two Years at Sea. And uh, it's great. It's totally eccentric and unique. And if you pop it into your machine, you'll be like, what? What is this? But I'm telling you, you're going to look at it, and you're going to be totally mesmerized. And then we're going to wrap out a couple of uh, great pieces of British television here. Uh, The first is uh, Helen Mirren in Prime Suspect, the complete series uh, from Acorn on Blu-ray. It is a nice, compact, amazingly uh, well-transferred and well-mastered show. And, and I gotta tell you, it's 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 kind of mind-boggling um, that they could squeeze everything into a uh, into a set this tiny. I mean, the form factor of this thing—it's it, like it would normally have been like a, like two Blu-rays wide. It's just—it's amazing. So, uh, won't if you if you're a fan of the show, it's definitely worth upgrading. Definitely worth uh, dipping into this. Um, and some great extras here: behind-the-scenes special, which is about an hour long, and then a uh, behind-the-scenes featurette for series six, which is about 23 minutes long. Really good, terrific. A lot of great uh, guest performances on this as well. And then uh, this is this is just outstanding: the five-part HBO miniseries Parades End which is a kind of a remake of um, 
the uh, what was it? You know, the Judy Dench was in the original Parade's End years and years and years ago, and uh, it all takes. It's this is, I guess, the fallout from uh, Downton Abbey. Everybody's all obsessed with Downton Abbey, and HBO jumped on the bandwagon and said, uh, "Let's you know tell this amazing ten-year story." Uh, and see if we can tap that same audience. And they did a great, great job. Really, really great performances here, especially from the man of the year, Benedict Cumberbatch, who seems to be in everything. And uh, it's just great. And worth noting, too, written by Tom Stoppard. So uh, this is the cream of the British crop here. And uh, a wonderful snapshot, an amazing time and period. It's really good. Edwardian England at its very, very best on television. And uh, another uh, another feather in the cap for... Um, for HBO. So if you are a fan of Downton Abbey, taking place in roughly the same era and the same period and dealing with a lot of the same themes, you know, World War I and Edwardianism and all that, boy, Parade's End really, really nails it. So Parade's End and Prime Suspect, a complete collection for all you Anglophiles out there. And with that, Mark, we are done this week. Until then, I don't have an outro.